episode 111 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast takes off now. Hi, I'm Eric Serrani. I am the founder and president of Flight Co. Brewing in Denver, Colorado. I'm a private pilot and home builder built an RV-10 and uh, flying a Ronca Champ as well. AV Nation, what is going on? And welcome back to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. My name is Justin Seams and I am your host. Today's episode is an interesting one. It is a good one. It's not your typical airline pilot, commercial pilot, or uh, a corporate pilot, I should say. He might be a commercial pilot. You'll find out more in this episode. But it is with my friend Eric. Eric is the owner of Flight Co. Brewing located in Denver, Colorado. We find out why Eric decided to to go to college and become an engineer. And then once becoming an engineer, to go in and creating his own business, becoming an entrepreneur and sticking with an aviation-themed brewery, aviation-themed just just life and style and what he uses aviation in his own life. It's really interesting. It's always really refreshing to hear someone use aviation outside of an airline pilot or some kind of corporate pilot and just see that you can still have a great career and be involved with aviation in so many different ways. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. You can check us out on our website, pilottopilothq.com, where you can find all of our links to Patreon, buy me a coffee, our shop, any episode we've ever released. I also want to give a special shout out to Stuart Roderick. He is our Patreon of the week. If you want to become the Patreon of the week, head over to Patreon. I'm going to start a new thing with Patreon. We're going to do a weekly kind of summary of what's happening. So maybe with the podcast, maybe with other things in Pilot the Pilot, but also a special podcast just for our Patreon where I am going to just talk about what's going on in my work life and what's going on, where I am, where I've been flying, just kind of some challenges that I've seen. So I'm trying to get some new tailored content just for patrons to show you how much I appreciate your support. Aviation, that's about all I have for you right now. I did the pre-order for the hats, so the hats should be coming in soon and I'll send those out as soon as possible. If you're like, what hats are you talking about? Go to shoppilotthepilot.com and you can find out the hats. Uh, that's all I have for you right now. I want to go ahead and break into this episode. So without any further ado, here's Eric from Flight Cobra. Eric, what's going on, man? Welcome to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. Hey, Justin, how you doing? Doing really well, man. Thanks for coming on. Uh, I think Kylie would kill me if I waited any longer to not get you on. Oh no, yeah, yeah. She uh, she's a big fan of ours, especially of our uh, our cherry porter. If you've seen, I have. Online. Yeah, I think everyone has seen <laughs> the fact that she loves her cherry porter <laughs> and a good healthy amount, of course. Like, let's not go ahead and spread anything like that. But yeah, um, yeah. Kylie has been asking me to to have this, have you on, and get you on for a while. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to have your comment. I'm excited to share your story. I've never talked to anyone that owns a, a brewery, and I've never talked to anyone that kind of is a pilot and owns a brewery and kind of works off of that. So I think it'll be really interesting. Yeah, it's uh, two industries that seemingly don't have a lot to do with each other. But kind of over the years, I've found that the passion that people share in aviation and in craft beer um, are very similar in many ways. Um, Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, we, we just talked about this beforehand, but I'll go ahead and laugh at myself here. I was looking at your Instagram page and it says that you are a pilot and a home builder. And uh, for some weird reason, I just associated a home builder with you that your main job is you go out and build homes. But no, that means that you actually build aircraft. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Um, it was a project my dad and I built in high school. My grandfather was the one that kind of infected our family with aviation. Oh, cool. He was involved with EA, yeah, EAA and uh, local chapters all around the country um, during his lifetime. I mean, when he passed away, my dad and I realized the best way to kind of remember him and keep his memory alive is to build another airplane in his memory. And um, ever since then, uh, it's been flying an RV-10 for about 14 years now. And uh, uh, just kind of a a great way for someone's legacy to live on, I guess. So is that, would you say, the original inspiration was your grandpa and this uh, home-built project? Yeah, um, I've kind of been addicted to aviation ever since I was about three years old. He gave me a ride in his 1946 Aronka Champ when I was three and just kind of been itching to get back out to the airport ever since then. Uh, soloed that same Champ on my 16th birthday, um, and that was shortly before he passed away, and we ended up building um, our own aircraft after that, so... Yeah, we can thank Granddad for for all of this and kind of the the inspiration for the company, um, all of the uh, 
the nonprofits, uh, youth organizations that were involved with kind of spun out from his um, inspiration as well. Was he uh, a private pilot? Was he an airline pilot or what kind of pilot was he? What was his involvement in aviation? He was a private pilot. He worked for uh, Mobile for 40 years, um, kind of in their real estate looking around for planning gas stations around the country. Um, but he always did it as um, a private pilot and kind of a, a home building um, project. He's built a number of airplanes throughout his lifetime. He, he tended to gravitate towards the rutan designs. He built a long, easy, a quickie, um, and then helped a, a number of other friends build similar aircraft as well. So it's just kind of growing up, you get exposed to all these different aircraft, all these different circles of people that none of my friends were really into. So kind of been my mission to make aviation more accessible to just the general population, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And that's kind of one of my missions too, is to, to show people the great industry they have and to, to kind of dispel the the notion that you have to be the smartest person in the world to be a pilot, you have to be a rocket scientist and that you have to fly for the airlines to consider yourself part of the industry. There are just so many different options that you can have in this, uh, this great industry that we have. And you can even just do it for fun if you want to, but anyone can do Literally anyone can go fly an airplane. It might just take some money and some dedication, but if you can create that in your space and in your life, then you can definitely do this and call this a, a, a hobby, a job, or whatever you want to do. Right. And uh, exactly. I, I sat on a, a scholarship committee um, for a number of years now, and that's that's the thing that we, we tell people is it, it doesn't matter if the applicant wants to go be a commercial pilot, if they want to go in the military, or if they just want to fly for fun because... The skills that you learn from aviation, regardless of how you apply them in your work, uh, you know, they apply to everything else in life, big project planning, business owning. I can't tell you all the things that I've learned about owning a business that I learned from flying an airplane. It's, it's quite, uh, it's quite a, a nice combo to have together. Yeah, it is. And it's definitely interesting. I mean, in the process of getting your your ratings or even just your private pilot rating, like the adversity you have to face and the amount of challenges you have to overcome and just the mindset you have to get in and just the idea of uh, completion is something that will definitely help you out in pretty much anything you do. It's helped me out with the podcast. It's helped you out with your business and your your uh, brewing company and your whatever you're doing in life. So it's definitely something that I, I think will definitely help anyone out. And it'll definitely look cool when you go to apply to other jobs and you have a pilot license and you're like, wait, you're a pilot? Like what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it, it is a, a resume builder. It shows people that you have problem solving skills. Uh, um, Oh, I was going to say all of us, you know, that have been through flying, uh, know that it doesn't go as smoothly as planned all the time. Um, weather maintenance, you know, a million different factors could throw a wrench in your plans. Um, or just a stupid just decision kinda, the pilot yeah. makes, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And just kind of getting used to that situation. Your, your pilots are more used to going into uncomfortable situations and figuring their ways out of them. That's kind of why. Um, so many business owners that I know are private pilots as well. It's just kind of two skill sets that go hand in hand. Yeah, for sure. And uh, talking more about your story. So you said you soloed at 16. When you were soloing at 16, what was kind of your mindset? What was your goal for aviation in your life? Was it to actually become a professional pilot and fly for the airlines or corporate or fractional? Or did you know you just wanted to have these ratings and just fly for fun? Um, I didn't really know at the time, I guess. Um when I was getting ready to solo, I was kind of like, all right, let's hurry this up. I started taking lessons when I was 13. So, uh, I got about 50 or 70 hours in just kind of being too young to fly the aircraft by myself. I knew everything about it. So I was just kind of waiting for that day to come by to, um, to come around. But, um, at the time I, I didn't really know. I just knew that I loved being in the air. Um, that's, and immediately after that, um, my grandfather passed away. We built our airplane, but to get my private pilot's license between 16 and 17, our local EAA chapter stepped in and gave me a sizable scholarship so that I could finish my private pilot um, rating. So when I was 17, fresh with a private pilot rating, the first thing that I did was I turned around and became my uh, pilot for Young Eagles. Um, just knowing how much I appreciated my EAH after the community around me and how much, you know, they were responsible for getting me involved in aviation. I wanted to turn around and 
and give that chance to other kids. So um, I think to date I'd have about over a hundred young Eagles flights. Um, yeah, it's, it's all about getting other people involved. I went to school to be an aerospace engineer, um, at the university of Colorado. Um, and also worked at a flight school during that time. It was around 2007 and I worked at the front desk as a dispatcher and all the flight instructors were telling me stories about what a terrible marketplace it was, uh, for pilots to be in around 2007. No one was getting hired. Paychecks were pretty terrible. And that kind of just encouraged me to focus on my engineering studies rather than, you know, diving down the path of a career pilot. Um, Ten years later, the situation couldn't be more opposite. <laughs> There's a, a huge demand for pilots and uh, and and not just pilots, mechanics, flight attendants, everyone else in the industry that needs to support everything. Anything in aviation, right? It's a, it's crazy. I started flying similar time period. I mean, a little bit later, um, or college, at least it was, uh, 2009 and 2012, 2008, 2012. And when I was doing my training, I had multiple people tell me not to do it just because it was such a terrible time. But I mean, like you just said, it turned out to be a really good time to actually do your training. And the same could be said for the period we're in right now. Granted, we don't know how long this period's going to last or when the recovery or what the recovery is going to look like. But we do know at some point in the future, we're still going to need pilots. People are going to retire and you're more than likely still going to be needed. So it's definitely, if you want to do this, still continue it and still go for it. Yeah. Oh, I mean, now more than ever. I mean, right now there's not a lot of commercial air travel going on but as soon as this is all over it's gonna pop back up all those the demands gonna be there it's still a growing industry it's just a, a minor little hiccup in the road that we're experiencing right now but um yeah it's just aviation something i noticed you know when when you look back at aviation in the 60s and how romanticized and how everyone got dressed up and how much everyone respected it and now it's just kind of degraded over the course of a few decades to the point where, you know, most people don't care. It's, it's not a great experience. They're going, you know, they associate it with TSA and going through security and, and, you know, baggage fees and all this. And, um, just kind of putting a bad damper on, you know, the joy, the, the spirit of, of something that's truly amazing and truly connecting the entire world. Absolutely. Yeah, I totally agree. And it is definitely the experience has changed and who knows what the experience will turn back into when this is all done. Maybe, we'll, maybe we can go back to romanticizing it a little bit or maybe we're going to even treat it more with neglect and maybe we'll be even worse than we were before. So it's uh, interesting. <laughs> we're kind of building the future right now and what it's going to be based on how we react to this. So it's really interesting to see. Uh, do you ever regret not continuing uh, pursuing aviation, maybe trying to become a pilot and fly for the airlines? Um. Yeah. Yes and no. Um, I think that I ended up on my path for a reason. Um, I, you know, I, being an engineer sitting in a cubicle was never really for me. I realized after I graduated and got out into the uh, industry, <laughs> it's a great but time I'm to not, realize that right after you went yeah, to college. Right? For it. <laughs> I don't want to do school. this. <laughs> and I don't want to discourage anyone from going into engineering. It's just, I'm right. a, a hands-on type of guy and I'm a tinkerer. Um, I, you know, built an airplane in high school and, and always enjoyed all the projects during school, but then getting out and sitting in a cubicle and, uh, kind of, kind of waiting around for everyone else to tell you it's okay to do your job or how to do it kind of just didn't sit well with me. And I ended up, uh, searching for some more startup companies, which having that mindset will lead you down a path of <laughs> very risky and not stable, um, uh, working conditions, I guess, you know, just kind of finding opportunities to you know, really have an impact. But then all of a sudden, you know, it doesn't end up working out and you find yourself without a job a, a few months later. So I don't know, saying that I regret it is not something I'm going to say. I, I probably would enjoy sitting in the cockpit of a plane way more than I ever enjoyed sitting in a cubicle. Um, but then again, I still get to fly uh, private um, so I get to fly the RV 10 and the Aronka champ myself. So yeah, you're doing pretty good, the, right? Yeah. The best of both worlds. The goal is the goal is to be in the air more. Let's just say that. I think it's everyone's <laughs> goal, whether it's for fun yeah. or flying right now, just how do we get back up? Please let me go fly again. 
Uh, what was your process like building an airplane? I know we've kind of, I haven't, don't really think I've focused on this too much, but to me, building an airplane seems like the worst thing I could ever do just because I don't trust myself. I feel like my, I wouldn't have the attention to detail I need and I'd be up flying it for the first time and the wings would fall off and then that would be the end of pilot, <laughs> pilot and Justin. So I don't know if I would ever want to build a plane, but for someone that has built a plane or someone that wants to build a plane, I'm guessing that there is a pretty big audience out there that would be very interested to get a, a mini kind of step-by-step what your mindset's like when you're, when you're building a plane. Like, why did you choose what you chose? What, what, were the, what was the process like? How frustrating was it? And how rewarding was it? Um, well, first off, it's probably the most rewarding thing I, I could think of in aviation just to put something together over a couple of years and then go fly around the country in it. Um, but the, uh, the process of getting into it, um, started when my grandfather passed and my dad and I knew sort of instantly that we wanted to build an airplane because that's what he did his entire life. Uh, so we researched, we, you know, what kind of airplane do we want to build? What, uh, what do we want to use it for? Um, kind of, just came down to the conclusion that we have a family of four and we'd like to take family cross country trips, um, to go see other family across, uh, across the United States. So we sort of zeroed in on four person airplanes. Uh, and there's not too many in the home built world. They're more two seaters or single seaters. Um, so that kind of narrowed it down quite a bit. We got it down between the uh, RV-10, which is a van's design, and the uh, Velocity, which is a canard, um, kind of like a 4C long easy, I would say. And in the end, it, it, it just came down. We looked at ourselves. You know, I was a student pilot. My dad didn't have his license either, but he was very uh, mechanically inclined. He worked on race cars a lot of his life and just could fix anything, put anything together. So we went with the design that was uh, more well-known. Vans has over 10,000 flying home-built aircraft in the air right now. They have incredible factory, uh, incredible customer support. The instruction book they give you is, it is huge. Um, It is probably 1,000, 2,000 pages uh, 11 by 17 detailed instructions, step-by-step everything you know, need to know along the way. Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> but once you break it down step-by-step, it's actually, um, pretty simple. Can you imagine so that, being the person that had to make that, uh, make that manual? I, being an engineer, I, 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 my brain would go there quite a bit of the process that, you know, not only are you designing an airplane and building an airplane and have to do the plans, but you have to make these plans uh, readable in such a way that anyone can understand what you're doing from all sorts of skill levels. So that adds another layer of just putting it as plain as you can. Um, so, yeah, that we, we went up and toured the Vans factory, saw up in Oregon, um, which I highly recommend to anyone. Uh, if you get, uh, if you find yourself out in that part of the country, um, it's really cool. Um, took a test flight in the RV 10, saw the entire support system of vans behind the company. And, you know, as soon as we landed, we made our decision that the RV 10 was the airplane that we were going to build. What was it about the RV 10 that made you want to build that one? Um, it, it's roomy. Um, I don't know any other four person aircraft where you know, I'm a big guy. I'm six, one, 200 pounds. I'm always shoulder to shoulder, uh, with the person next to me in a, a small four place airplane. Or if sitting in the backseat, my, my feet are, 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 my knees are jammed up in my throat. I'm similar. Um, I'm about six, two, six, three on a good day and about like two fifteen. So I'm very similar in that case. Yeah. Roomy the better. It's, it's amazing. I, I've never been in another aircraft where I enjoy sitting in the back seat and I have leg room no matter where I'm, I'm sitting in. It performs similarly to a Cirrus SR20, I would say. Um, I can, I'll tune it back, uh, 155 knots cruise at, you know, 10, 10 and a half gallons an hour, um, which turns out to be pretty economical for a, a GA aircraft. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's not too bad at all. When you were decided on building, so you come down to the decision, you're going to build the RV 10. Is this like 
you they ship you like the wings and they ship you everything else or are you straight up building everything are you uh oh, doing no. the- they, they send you all the parts and it, it comes in very very well thought out uh process so they give you the vertical and horizontal stabilizers first basically the parts that if you dent is going to matter less than if you dent other parts <laughs> which i'm guessing you're we, speaking from experience there <laughs> yeah maybe i mean yeah. i'm the only person that will ever notice the the bad rivet that i put in but <laughs> yeah but it's there <laughs> it's it's there um and um uh, you know my dad just being a master with tools uh kind of figured out the the mechanical stuff around everything and and i was more into you know the aerodynamics and the aviation so i and systems and, and avionics and all that so i was kind of i knew how everything worked he knew how everything went together so we, it was kind of a process of slowly figuring everything out together that combined with an insanely detailed set of instructions and a customer support line you can call five days a week and immediately have someone talk you through any any problems that you might be having in your build process it's That's very helpful it's it's really cool. Um, you know, I, I haven't built any other models besides vans, but they take a lot of the uh, stress and unknown and, and fear out of, of home building an aircraft. How long did it take you to build it? We did it in 19 months, which is screaming fast. We were uh, rushing to get it completed before I finished high school. Um we did the quick build kit, which they, uh, they will rivet together part of the wings and part of the fuselage, basically a lot of tedious, um, rivet work. And, uh, that shaved a few months off for us probably, but still 12 hours a day on Saturday and Sundays and after school at night. Um, and then me getting, you know, a bunch of my friends together whenever we needed to put together uh, an assembly line or a rivet line um, allowed us to just kind of we'll buy you uh, pizza. We just need to do this. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you can <laughs> order line sweatshop, but you'll be OK. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it That's was awesome. it was cool. Everyone was no one was building an airplane in high school. No one was flying. I, I always kind of felt a little isolated in a sense that I had this passion that I couldn't really share with anyone else. But having an airplane being built in our garage, you know, even if I could, I could convince just about any of my friends to come over for a couple hours just because they've never seen anything like that before. And it was so new and so unique. Um, but, What's the yeah, price point between building an RV10 and buying maybe a built RV10? Because I'm guessing they can, the vans will sell you an RV10 that's fully built. Is there a, is there a huge price difference, obviously, because of the time that you put in? Uh, I don't think unless they, they might've recently started selling factory complete aircraft. Maybe they don't, I don't, I don't know enough about vans uh, to. Some other of the companies do. I, um, I, when I compare them to factory built aircraft, I say a home built aircraft that is similarly, uh, spec and performance will cost about a third to a quarter. Oh, wow. Um, and that's, I mean, you, you have to put a price on how much your time is worth. So, you know, what's, what's 2000 hours of your, <laughs> of your time worth, add that up, then they'll probably, you know, be a little more similar, but it's a fun project. And, you know, if it's, it's an easier way to get into aviation if, if you're inclined, um, put your own airplane together talking about i'm actually on your website right now uh and i see your your profile and it says owner president and rocket scientist now <laughs> anyone that said uh, like what what first of all what is a rocket scientist like is that just saying you went uh, you're an aerospace engineer or is that yeah. a step even further <laughs> yeah um basically we're using marketing terms <laughs> I, I mean, I it's catchy i like it yeah. yeah i just didn't know if that meant that you're like you have like a side hustle over at nasa and you're like changing the world working with elon musk and stuff like that so i was just <laughs> I, uh, awesome. I used to i used to work for boeing um up in washington on their commercial airplanes um for a couple of years at a out of college and did a number of other engineering works but yeah that was something we put on a, our website to uh 
you know, how do you, how do you describe the, the brand and who we are in two yeah. words? And I like it. I mean, it's catchy. Yeah. It gets people to stay. Yeah. brings up a, a talking point, right? Yeah. And then, uh, Jason, um, so I went to school with Jason at CU and, uh, he's a chemical engineer and we just started brewing beer together in our uh, college apartment room and, uh, made some pretty terrible beer. Uh, the first time we ever did that. But uh, it had alcohol in it, so you know, Still a couple it. college you students, it, right? yeah, we're like, oh, sweet, this is a huge success. <laughs> um, Jason, being a chemical engineer, really dove into recipe creation. So he's like, oh, this is exactly what I'm learning in school. It's you know, chemical processes and enzymes and all that. Um, so he really nerded out about creating perfect balanced beer recipes where I was more of an electrical mechanical engineer and I would build him contraptions to control the process perfectly. So he needed a beer to ferment at exactly, you know, 62 and a half degrees. I built him a little chamber that would, you know, keep that temperature for a couple of weeks. And once we, you know, combined, you know, really good balanced recipe creations with controlled process people were starting to tell us that our beer tasted better than the beers they were getting at their local breweries. So that kind of is where we're sparked the idea of maybe we should someday start a brewery. Yeah. Maybe, maybe we have something here, you know? Yeah. That's, that's cool. So when did all this start? Was this like a 2008 or 2009 when you guys even like started the brewing process or tinkering with it? uh, Let's see. It was my 21st, birthday that i got the the home brewing kit for so that would have been uh 2008 and whoever uh, gave you the home brewing kit did they ever think that maybe this would turn into a passion and here you were making a living off of this uh no Uh, it was my brother-in-law and and we talk about it quite a bit and i I blame him for it quite a bit i said you know this is all your fault yeah how dare you i could have had a normal life now i'm I'm doing this i was kidding uh that's really funny but that's really cool though you you never know what gift is going to be the one that can like send someone down a path of of creation or uh could change someone's life and something as easy as a home brewing kit has turned into being a full-on full-fledged career for you which is unbelievable yeah, it's it's crazy when you turn around and and look at where you came from from where you are right now. It's it's been quite a long journey, full of uh, you know false starts and and detours and all that. But you know, it, it gets you to where you need to be. When when did the idea come for for Flight Co Brewing Company? Like I know you kind of mentioned before, you might have had some other entrepreneurial uh, aspects and uh, and ventures. Uh, but was this kind of always? Did you always put this off, or did you always think maybe we can actually do a brewery? Um, we we kind of always had it in our back pocket. Like yeah, maybe someday we we would do this. It'd be fun. Um, Jason helped when I moved back from Seattle to Denver. Uh, I had taken my 1946 champ out there um, and I had to get it back. So Jason flew out to Seattle with me commercially and we spent over three days at, I don't know, at 50 knots <laughs> coming back. It's a long time. <laughs> uh, looking down at the, uh, at the highway I-84 below us and, I kid you not. I looked down and saw the Oscar Mayer Wiener mobile going faster than us. So, uh, we had a lot of time to talk about life and dreams and, uh, you know, just passions and, and interests. So, you know, spent a lot of time talking about that in the plane. And then we landed in rock Springs, Wyoming, um, after a very long day of flying and we got a, right over to the hotel that had a cocktail hour going at, at a, it was like four o'clock in the afternoon. They had a free cocktail hour for the guests. And we were just sitting there talking about our flight across the country. And we realized that we had the entire <laughs> hotel guests, uh, uh, population there listening in and just on the edge of their seats, uh, listening to our story about flying this old airplane across the country. And we kind of realized that, you know, that there's something there. There's, you know, people getting together, having a beer, talking about flying. You know, most of the people there didn't have any uh, experience in aviation before, but they were still extremely interested and extremely riveted by the story. And it that that's the moment that we're kind of like, man, we should 
try to recreate this atmosphere. I don't think we knew exactly what it was or how we were going to do it, but we had the base of, of brewing beer together and it kind of snowballed from that point. Uh, you guys could do the brewing part, which for some people is probably the hardest part. And then the second part for you guys was to create the community that you wanted to to have there. You know, you had to create what's going to make this stand out from the other brewery. What's going to make this better? What's going to make people come back? And what can we all have in common aside from drinking beer and enjoying craft beer? And uh, as you said, you found that to be aviation. You found that it's easy for people just to come in and talk about aviation. And a lot of people go back to their childhood dreams. Most people probably thought flying was pretty cool when they're younger and probably had the idea that maybe I should be a pilot. So coming here, seeing aviation, just being around it, hearing the stories could be a fun community to be involved in. And everyone likes to drink a beer every once in a while. So why not add beer to the mix? And it goes back to even like World War One, World War Two. they get done flying. They, what is the first thing they could do when they're done flying? They go drink. So <laughs> aviation and alcohol have always kind of had like a, a part together. Now do it safely and don't operate a plane or drive drunk. But you know what I mean? They've always kind of played a part and there's always been aviation and there's always been kind of the aspect of sharing a beer, sharing some alcohol after you're done with the flight. Yep, exactly. Um, and you know, you touched on it there, you know, doing it responsibly is, uh, uh, is what we think about a lot. Um, you know, you, you mentioned pilots and, and people in aviation do like beer. It's just kind of a known fact, but if, you know, someone that's not in aviation sees a pilot drinking a beer might get a little, you know, worried. So we have signs all over the the brewery that say, you know, remember eight hours from bottle the throttle, you know, don't drink and drive. And, um, just kind of taking that extra precaution that we're not doing this irresponsibly, um, is, is something we think about every day. Yeah. Which is, I mean, it's something you have to do. It's like, don't drink your beer in a uniform. Like just use common sense, just <laughs> have fun and go home and make sure you can fly the next day and do it uh, responsibly. So I completely agree. Uh, what's kind of your wildest dream for flight co-brewing? If you could kind of just say right now, coronavirus is never an issue and you could have your wildest dream come true. What would that be? Would you kind of want to be like the, the aviation beer that people go to, that people talk about that's at, that's at Oshkosh, that's at all these kind of, every hangar has a flight co-brewing in their, in their hangar or what, what's your main goal? Um, I mean, that would be fun to have flight co at Oshkosh and, and all of that. Um, it's, it's not really about me. Um, we, we set out when we started this, um, to have a mission of donating 10% of all of our profits to scholarships, to youth organization funds, to basically promoting the future of aviation. Um, what would be the coolest end game for me is to, I don't know, have the biggest impact on as many people as I can. Um, we, uh, we did a partnership with an organization called Stripes to Bars earlier this year. They give aviation scholarships to military veterans transitioning out of the military and into the civilian world. Um, they give them scholarships to get into aviation. That's really uh, cool. We did a collaborate. We did. Yeah. It's a, amazing organization they've uh they've got some really uh high caliber applicants that apply for their scholarships but we did a uh we did a beer with them where a dollar from every beer sold is going to their uh scholarship fund so as of now we've raised over fifteen hundred dollars just in a few months um on one beer that's gonna go that's gonna give someone a significant chance to make an impact on aviation these these guys already have the the mentality, the the mindset from being in the military to learn and to, to execute, you know, it's, it's a lot easier just, you know, hand them, um, the skill set or hand them the materials and, uh, resources they need and they'll, they'll turn into awesome pilots someday. So I don't know, to go, to go back to what you said, it would be cool to see it everywhere. I'd, I'd love to, you know, see them flight codes in airports around the country, but if, if I don't get any recognition, it, but, know that we helped hundreds of people get into aviation or help the industry out. That's, that's all that it's about for me. Yeah. No, that, I mean, that's similar to what pilots pilot is too. I mean, obviously I'm not doing as much good as you are, with giving back and stuff, but I mean, it's kind of the goal is just to, to help other people. It's not really about me. It's not about kind of making money. It's not about, I mean, you need to make money eventually, but it's not, you know what I mean? But it's, uh, it's about making sure we are helping the world and putting the world in a better place and make doing our part to get back. Cause in aviation and entrepreneurship and making a business, someone's helped you along the way, you know, and it's kind oh, of yeah. our part 
to help and give back. And it's important to do that. And I, I, it's commendable that you're doing that. I think that's really cool. Yeah. It, having a, a larger purpose on such a big goal has really kept me focused. Um, you know, there's, you know, being an aerospace engineer, starting a craft brewery in Denver, Colorado, which is the most saturated market you could possibly uh, go into for craft beer. Um, I was told I was, you know, crazy a number of times by a number of people and which they, they might be right, but, um, they didn't see the connection that I had drawn between aviation and craft beer. So, you know, it, it looked crazy for a long time getting up and running, but now that we're open and now that we've actually created this atmosphere that we're, we're talking about, it's, uh, people are really starting to see it. It's really it's really starting to come together and, and catch on in quite a cool way. Honestly, bigger than I ever expected. I didn't realize how many pilots and how many from all different aspects of aviation that I'd be meeting every day. I This is the best uh, networking place for aviation that I've, I've, I've seen in Denver. And that's kind of another one of the, the motivating factors behind it. Um, the... The passion with aviation is very strong. The problem is we're all spread out across the country. Um, you know, small airports in big cities, big airports, but we're all pretty far away from each other because we're always out flying around. So, you know, creating a, a place to get together in person and talk about these things is is, is kind of a, a cool concept. Yeah, I agree. And uh, having that in-person relation definitely can go a long way. And it, it's cool to hear about how it can be a networking thing. And it's cool to, that you can have that kind of meetings there and you can, you can meet people and you can uh, kind of get your name out there and you can uh, enjoy aviation. And that's definitely a cool thing and a side effect to one of the, what you're doing. And it's really cool. Um, when you were deciding on a location and you wanted to try, I mean, I'm sure in your mind, you wanted this to be kind of around pilots, like you said, and aviation themed did location of where you were actually putting this? I know that you said there's a, it's a very saturated market in Colorado and in Denver. Did you like think about maybe like close to an airport? Did you want to be in a city? Did you want to be like, what kind of, what was the decision process on where you got your space? Uh, yeah, we, we definitely were shooting to be closer to an airport. Um, we actually almost opened up in, in Broomfield right by uh, Rocky mountain Metro airport, uh, BJC for those of you keeping track at home. Um, <laughs> it uh it, it just didn't work out i think the uh the landlord there wanted us to do food and for whatever reason we couldn't put it together to get the lease signed there um and i've kind of gone back and and fought with myself over this for a while would we be more successful if we were right next to an airport where there are all you know pilots mechanics the the aviation industry is right there and maybe initially we would have seen more traffic, you know, as we're growing just cause there'd be more, you know, people in that community right there. But kind of as we're searching for bigger, better real estate, we were thinking that, you know, what if it wasn't next to an airport? What if, you know, people were going into a popular neighborhood, people come in and they see an airplane and they, you know, they're like, what is this? And then they come up and ask the bartender and the bartender happens to have his pilot's license. And, you know, he's going to talk to you, your ear off about how you can get into aviation. How, there's all these different airports around that you can go take flight training at. Um, I like it better uh, kind of not being directly next to an airport right now because we have such a better opportunity to inspire and, and you know, spark a you know, get that little spark for someone that might not have normally walked into an airport bar yeah for sure you're definitely right there what what kind of um not necessarily difficulties but adversity have you seen in starting a business and we talked about how getting your pilot license can prepare you for kind of your life your future life and whether it's business adventures or whether it's just personal things um, what kind of struggles did you have and how can you say maybe the, you getting your, your pilot's license or you being involved in aviation has helped prepare you to overcome those? Uh, yeah, I mean, just the, the concept of, of, you know, kind of going with the flow of, of looking what the weather's like outside and maybe changing your, your, your flight plan based on the day. The biggest challenge 
for me was getting it funded. Um, the three owners, none of us have the, the capital to start this ourselves. So we had to go figure out how to raise money, someone else's money to make our dreams come true, which is kind of weird. Um, and especially doing, uh, like I said, the most saturated craft beer market in the country and you're throwing another craft brewery in there. So <laughs> what's the worst that could happen? I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, I took my story around to probably hundreds of investors, banks. Um, and I, I knew in my mind that what I had, what our idea, our concept was, was going to be successful, but I could never find the word. You know, I'm, I'm an engineer. I'm not a, uh, I'm not a salesman. Um, it, it just took honestly years of getting told no. And you know, maybe some people would tell you why they said no, that you start to figure out the words, uh, that would start to get people to say yes. And it's just kind of, it's a slow thing. It's like nothing in the world is ever going to go your way. Not you know, everything's going wrong. Everything's going wrong. And then you find one little piece that you can cor correct and then you keep going you keep going and eventually the pieces all align and come together and it's nothing nothing like you imagined it would be but um it's exactly what it's supposed to be yeah no i mean you get told no a lot in aviation and one of the things i talked about is is the importance of saying no and knowing when to say no so no is a big word that you need to learn and over, how to overcome and how to use when you're in aviation and it sounds like that could be the same when you're starting a business because May, I mean, I, I, this is the only business I've ever started with Pilot to Pilot and it's still in the building process, but I'm sure sometimes you have to say no too. Maybe you're saying no to a good offer that might not be the best for you or best for your company, best for your friends, best for your family. And you got to be comfortable saying no. And then you also have to learn how to take a no and you got to learn how to, how to make sure that no doesn't shut you down. It doesn't make you quit. It doesn't make you stop and just put you back to, to thinking about how you can do it and how you can overcome that no. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. It's just adversity, you know, overcoming it. And honestly, having people around you that, you know, even when you don't believe in yourself, will believe in you is, is key. Cause there's, there's times where you just want to say, you know, screw it. You know, I've spent five years working on this, but I can just go do something else. You know, the, the couple of people that say, you know, you're <laughs> don't give up, you know, come back tomorrow. You know, you, what you've built is, is amazing. Just, just keep going one more day. Um, you know, it would, it would be nothing without those people. Yeah. Now this is kind of an interesting question. It's kind of a dumb question too, but owning a brewery, are you allowed to drink other beers or are you like only allowed to drink your own beer? Is it not cool? So say like you're out drinking like some competitors, double IPA or someone else's cherry Porter, and then you get caught. Is it like taboo or is it totally okay? <laughs> just say it's research. I'm just researching. <laughs> no, no, no. It's, it's, it's totally okay. It is. Um, and that is, the one thing that I love about the craft beer industry is how insanely collaborative it is. Um, when I was putting together my business plan, I would go down to the brewery a couple blocks away from me and just kind of pick the owner's brains. And he told me way more than I ever expected them to. He gave me, you know, recommendations on architects on, on pitfalls that he made where, you know, he said, I lost so much money doing it this way. Um, you know, for this, you know, anyway, um, just that kind of translates into beer. Uh, breweries will get together and collaborate and make beers together um, and, and share each other's beers. You, you get sick of your own beer after a while, no matter how good it is. <laughs> there's always, there's always someone else's out there and we are 100% about supporting and lifting up our neighbors. Um, you know, if they're successful, we're going to be successful. The only, uh, the only beer that you might get some flack for, for drinking is, you know, maybe a Bud Light. <laughs> <laughs> You'll get flack drinking that no matter where you go. So it's all good. At least you should. But no, it's true. I mean, it's definitely true. You need to know what your competitors are doing, whether you are on a, uh, whether you guys are like friends or whether you're mortal enemies, it's, it's how you're going to grow. You need to know that they're making a better product or if your product's better, but even the fact just not being comfortable where you're at. So trying other things and mixing with other things and making sure you're constantly learning, whether you're a pilot or whether you're in business is important because as soon as you become stagnant, when, when I was playing football, we're always told that you're either getting better or you're not. There's no in between. There's no really maintaining. So someone else is always getting better and it's important for you to continually try to get better as well. 
Yep. Yep. Once, once you're done learning, you're dead. Yep. For sure. All right. Well, I have a couple rapid fire questions for you. If you're all right with that, I'm going to go ahead and ask you them and just say the quickest and the fastest answer that comes to your mind. And there's no reason there. There's no, you don't have to explain your answer at all. All right. All right. What's your favorite airplane you have ever seen? And we'll go with maybe an airline airplane. An airliner? Yeah. An airline. What's your favorite airliner? Oh man. Um, that's a tough one. Uh, you know, working at Boeing, kind of getting some up close uh, access to the 787 kind of when it was first being released. That, uh, yeah. 787? Yeah. I haven't seen the the 777X in person yet, so I can't. I've flown in the Boeing field with my company and I've been able to see it. It looks pretty cool, but I think I would choose a 787 as well. Yeah, I got to fly on one for the first time last year uh, to Tokyo. Oh, nice. Man, when we were taking off, I was just like, are the engines even on? <laughs> it's so it's quiet. So quiet. Yeah. <laughs> What's your favorite uh, corporate jet? So say like uh, business aviation. Oh, um, I'm going to quick answer the citation X. Okay. Um, just cause it's so quick fast. And fast. Yeah. yeah. We uh, got an opportunity to see the new Embraer, but yeah. the the is not very roomy for someone that's six foot one or six foot two though. Really? Unless you're up front, maybe it's better. But yeah, it's not the roomiest airplane in the world, but definitely a fast one, that's for sure. It's uh, aerodynamic and yeah. I don't know. It's a great airplane. Well-engineered, yeah. Uh, what's your favorite small piston airplane? Are you going to say the RV-10 since you built it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, probably. Yeah, that works. <laughs> uh, I like to ask this question. I get some flack for it and for my answer, but what is, if you have one, the ugliest airplane you've ever seen? Oh man, ugliest airplane I've ever seen. And I don't want to personally offend anyone that I know here too bad, but uh, I'd have to say there's a, and it's, it's not normally an ugly airplane. It's just, it sticks in my head. There's a tri-pacer at a Erie airport where I fly out of that is the saddest airplane in the entire world. And it sits right at the end of the uh, ramp and you have to taxi by it every time you go flying. The wheels are flat. Um, there's holes in the wings. I think the props removed. Um, it's been sitting in the same place for years, and it Poor just kind of makes me sad every time I, yeah. I, I taxi past it. It's not the airplane's fault. It just needs some TLC, right? Yeah. Yeah. All right, here's one. What is something you wish you knew before you became a pilot? Um, <laughs> I guess... Uh, time and, and money, um, which I don't regret at all. I just, you know, you don't quite know how much time and how much resources it'll take up, but maybe that's, maybe that's good. I didn't know that. Yeah. Maybe, maybe you never <laughs> would have gotten into it. Yeah. 200 hours or 2000 hours of building an airplane. What the heck? <laughs> yeah. I got so all many right. other things I could be doing. Yeah. What's, uh, what's your overall favorite thing about aviation? Uh, the way it brings people together. Um, well, okay. I'm going to, I'm going to split this up into two. It brings, it connects people, um, obvious. Um, but then kind of the overview effect, I would say every time I go flying and you know, I'm, I'm stressed about something on the ground and I get a few thousand feet up in the air and then all of a sudden your problems don't really seem like big problems anymore. They're just little tiny specks on the ground that you have to go deal with someday. Yeah. Yeah. One day just go fly for another hour though. Right. (laughs) Yep. Yeah, for sure. That's a that's a good one. Um, what is who is someone in the industry that could be living or they could have passed on that you would have liked to or would like to meet most? Um, I would probably say Chuck Yeager. Um, just you know, first person to go past the speed of sound, but kind of the uh, the story of breaking that record has always fascinated me. Where he he, he fell off a horse a week before. And broke some ribs, but wouldn't tell anyone um, that he had broken ribs and actually went and made that that flight in a considerable amount of pain, and, but uh, just had a goal and <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. And, and kept at it. Yeah, <laughs> that'd be someone I'd like to meet as well. Uh, what is one of the hardest approaches you ever had to fly? Oh, um, yeah, I, I, I did one. Um, let's see, I was in college, probably 2009 or 10. Uh, flew my friend from Colorado to Idaho and dropped him off and 
and flew back solo. Um, coming back into Colorado, the uh, there was a, a low-level uh, cloud layer, which doesn't really happen very often in Colorado. So I, I called up ATC, got an IFR clearance to go through it, and uh, was this was my first single pilot IFR approach, and uh, ended up having to do a hold pattern in the clouds and circle for a while, and then my airport uh, that I was going to ended up getting closed because there was an accident, and they had to divert me to a different airport, and yeah, all single pilot, pretty fresh with an instrument rating, um, and it, it wasn't bad. It just kind of tested every single. Uh, inch of my capacity and every single thing I learned in training kind of all at once. <laughs> I'm sure when you landed, you're excited uh, to be done and go drink a nice Flight Co. brewery beer. <laughs> oh, yeah. Unfortunately, Flight Co. was, I know, was I know, yeah. not not just a mere idea at the time. Yeah, no, my, my dad was watching me on FlightAware come back, um, saw me file IF car divert to another airport and then heard the news of a crash at our airport so the second that i got on the ground i got a a, a frantic phone call from my dad asking if i was okay and so yeah it was <laughs> interesting yeah it was a, it was a weird especially... it was a weird approach yeah i mean those happen the you never know when you're gonna have that weird day that's why it's important to, to make sure you can handle anything that happens you have as much fuel as you need and maybe a little bit more because you don't know when those clouds are going to go low. You don't know when there's going to be an accident in front of you. You just don't know. So you need to have everything going in your favor to help you get over that. Yeah. What is exactly. uh, your favorite airport you've ever landed at? Ooh. Um, I would say South Lake Tahoe. Just That's a good one. The view over the lake uh, is pretty amazing. Would you rather fly IFR or VFR? Uh, VFR, unless I'm going somewhere what's your least favorite airplane you've ever had to land at uh piper arrow <laughs> <laughs> i actually worded that wrong so your least favorite airplane to land or fly is a piper arrow what's your least favorite airport you've ever had to land at um i was just trying to bring myself back oh i landed at um an airport just west of uh uh, just east of Albuquerque, um, forgot the actual name of the airport, but it was a small airport, had about a 25 knot crosswind and the, uh, the runway width was, I swear, only about as wide as a sidewalk. Oh so, my gosh. <laughs> that always <laughs> Maybe, makes it fun. Yeah. Yeah. So never going back to that airport. Yeah. Screw that airport. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah. Um, uh, so let's say you are doing a cross country, you're stopping for fuel somewhere and you take a crew car. You're hungry. You want to go get some food. Do you have a go-to food that you'd like to go when you're going out to explore places? Uh, I like to explore whatever, you know, the, the region's well known for. So if we're going to the West coast, you know, you've got to stop at in and out, um, going down to the South, usually, you know, try to find a Whataburger, um, going out to, Wisconsin, you know, find a Culver's or something. I'm I'm all for the uh, the greasy local burger. You know. There you go. Would you rather fly over mountains, beaches, or the city? Um, that's a, that's a tough one. I don't <laughs> all three. Yeah, um, I enjoy flying through the mountains, but you know, on a, on a nice weather day, and you know, making sure we're. Yeah, I would say the mountains, just as long as we're we're being safe about it. You worked at Boeing, so I'm guessing your answer is going to be Boeing here. But would you rather fly or be on an Airbus or a Boeing? I I gotta say Boeing. Got to <laughs> got to represent, man. Yeah. What's your favorite airline livery? Uh oh, man. They uh, they change them so often that it's hard to keep up. I like the new American ones. Um, strangely enough, when they went from the silver to to paint the planes white and the big American flag on the tail. Yeah, I think they did a good job. What's the biggest regret you have in your career? Um, I don't like to call them regrets. I just call them learning experiences. But I don't know, maybe uh, when I was in college working at the flight school, I started working on my commercial uh, 
single engine land did pretty much all the requirements for it, but never took the test. Oh no. <laughs> uh, so I'm currently actually one of our, our bartenders is a, a flight instructor and, uh, she's been awesome in helping me train for the maneuvers and we're, we're getting a, uh, a check ride set up so that I can actually get that commercial license, you know, 14 years later. <laughs> it's all right. Never, never too <laughs> yeah. late. Right. Right. What's the biggest win of your career? Um, I'm just getting the brewery open. Um, you know, I've, I've done a lot of different things in engineering, but having this aviation themed brewery come to life from just an idea and then having it come together in a way that is way better, um, and feels, feels way better than you could ever imagine is, is pretty incredible. Even if it's an incredible amount of work and it's frustrating, it's, uh, just, just knowing that it, it happened and it exists and it's going to keep happening and it's pretty cool. Yeah, no, it definitely is cool. I, I would definitely agree. Uh, let's see. Those are all the ones I have for aviation, but I'm asked some about your brewery. Just one or two. What is your favorite beer you've ever brewed? Oh, that depends on the day. Uh, It's a (laughs) sunny day. It's 70, 80 degrees outside and uh, baseball's playing. Okay. Um, I'm going to say our our Vets and Jets Cream Ale. Um, It is the simplest beer we brew, but it is super light super crisp, super refreshing. I can have, you know, more than one, whereas some of our other beers, if you start having multiple ones, you know, the the alcohol content will catch up to you pretty quick. (laughs) Um, and it, it has a a great cause, um, attached to it. I would, yeah, I'm going to go simple today. All right. Let's say it's, uh, January one day it's 70. The next day it is currently like 10 degrees and it's snowing six feet outside. What's your go-to? Uh, well, we just released a, uh, a couple barrel aged beers. They probably won't be around much longer, but, uh, they have a barrel aged unusual attitude, Amber, uh, I would say on a nice, nice snowy snow day. I like it. Uh, what's been harder? What was kind of the harder transition for you learning, uh, the science behind brewing beer or uh, starting a business or getting your pilot, getting your pilot license? Starting a business for sure. <laughs> yeah, I'd imagine. Um, uh, technical things like engineering and building an airplane and, and brewing beers, those kind of come naturally. It's the, uh, I all of a sudden had to put on a, a salesman hat and, and, you know, develop all these other person, uh, skills that, Traits. You know, yeah. yeah, exactly. That, that yeah. it's hard for an engineer to, to go out and sell yourself and, to get other people excited about it. But. Well, it's awkward to talk about yourself in general if you're not like uh, born to be a salesman, you know? It's like it's hard to like sell yourself without sounding too much, too cocky or having like you have a big ego, but it's definitely something you have to do. And that's that's why Jason and I got the third member of our, our ownership team, Morgan. He's a, uh, he's a born he's salesman. A salesman. He's that's good. Just, yeah, he's, he's incredible. He's got the people skills that uh, the two engineers desperately needed at the time. <laughs> please help me. Please help me. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. All right. I don't know if you can answer this, but do you have a beer that you truly didn't like, but still sold? Um, no. That's good. Because we, yeah, either we fix it or we dump it. Um, and that's kind of painful to do. <laughs> a lot of money probably goes into that process. Yeah. Uh, it's a lot of money. It's a lot of time. You know, people get, personally invested in an idea that they may have for a beer and a release and all that. Um, but just, you know, being in Denver, if you make even just okay beer, you're not going to survive. You have to make phenomenal beer across the board. That's good to know. Yeah. I mean, I would imagine, like you said, being in a very, very saturated place. If you could start this brewery in any other place, did you ever think about maybe going outside of Denver? Was there like the Southeast? Was it out West? Like, uh, what, what, did you have any other backup plans, uh, to Denver or you're like, Nope, Denver, it's gotta happen. Um, it was, it was always Colorado. Um, it was co- Colorado Springs for a little bit, but it was mostly where everyone lived. Um, Jason lived in golden Morgan lived next door to me in Denver and trying to convince all of our significant, and others, all of our families 
to move to another state city to, to get this going was a harder sell than just starting up in an extremely tough market. Um, but you know, being in Denver, we also get a lot of visibility that we, we normally wouldn't have seen it anywhere else. The other place for, yeah, it was Colorado Springs. Um, we had some friends down there, uh, growing even faster than, than Denver is just didn't quite have the, uh, the connections down there. One of my last questions for you is, uh, the end goal for this. I know I kind of mentioned your wildest dream, but say, uh, I know a lot of things that happen to craft breweries. I don't know if it's kind of taboo to talk about or taboo in the, in the industry is to, to sell out. Would you ever sell out to like a, not sell out might not be the, the best word, but would you want to sell your, your brewery to a Budweiser or a Anheuser, like the Anheuser Busch family, like a, a bigger beer company, or do you want to keep this and see what you can make out of it? definitely want to keep it. Um, this is, you know, it, it's not just beer. It's, it's, it's a, uh, it's an environment. It's, uh, an experience. It's, um, there's just something that having the owners actually be pilots and in the industry and kind of with their finger on the pulse. I don't, if we ever sold it to anyone else, I don't, I just don't know if we would be able to convey the same messages through our brands. Um, so yeah, I want to, I want to see where this goes. We'd, we'd like to, you know, add some more food. Um, right now we share the building with a restaurant, you know, someday I'd love to have our own kitchen, um, just kind of grow it from there. But I'm just along for the ride. See, uh, see where this takes us. You know, not trying to, you know, put too many ideas of an angle on, on the end of it. That's good. Yeah. Go along for the ride. See you. See get past coronavirus and see where we can go. Right. Yeah. If we can, if we can survive all this, we'll be, uh, be all right. Just fine. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, Eric, I appreciate you coming on. I have one more question for you, but I'll say this real quick. Uh, it's really cool to see pilots and, uh, and people in the aviation industry kind of want to go out and do their own thing to want to be entrepreneurs. I mean, I talk about how airline pilots, corporate pilots, a lot of times you have a lot of free time and you might be able to create something on your own. So I think it's very encouraging and it's very cool to hear and to talk to people that do things and people that create, because I just love the creative side of this industry and, and what we can come up with. So I appreciate you coming up and I appreciate you coming on. Uh, my last question for you is, what are kind of three tips that you would give to someone that maybe wants to start their own company? I know we kind of, we talked a little bit about it, but like what were like the three of the pitfalls you ran into and kind of the mindset you need to be when you want to start your own company? Uh, yeah, I just, the, the first one I would say, don't give up. Um, it is the absolutely most frustrating thing you can do is, you know, putting your, spilling your dreams um, putting them all together in a nice, neat package that you're going to go present to someone and then having someone just destroy it and tell, tell you that your dreams are stupid. Um, you just, you got to have grit and, and keep going and be able to take no as an answer a hundred times before you get that. Yes. Um, networking, uh, number two, it's, you know, what, you know, is a huge, thing, but honestly, who, you know, is, is important. And it's something as an engineer that I didn't quite value as much as I do now after kind of going out and experiencing firsthand of, of going out and making connections of this person can probably help you find some real estate. And this person can probably find you someone who can, um, invest. And, uh, you know, that's everything. You can't build it, uh, all yourself. And then third, I would say, uh, ask for help. Um, it's, there's a lot of pride involved in starting companies. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of ego involved in, in starting what you want. And eventually <laughs> the things that happen over time will wear down pride and ego. Um, and you get to the point where you realize you, you can't do it all yourself and that it's not all about you. And, you know, maybe someone else has better ideas that will, that will take your idea and make them further. So just kind of being open to letting go a little bit of the idea in your mind and how you want to create it and just kind of open it up to others and, you know, have a, have a group community attack the problem. I love it. 
Uh, it's definitely true. And that's hard to do. I'm guessing too. It's, it's hard to, to give some other people some more freedom and more rain in, in your baby, you know, and something that you create, but it's definitely necessary and part of the growth process. But Eric, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it, man. It's been great talking to you. Uh, yeah, I hope one day to maybe come out to, to Colorado and come, come visit the brewery and come have a beer. Yeah, Justin, thanks for having me on. I, I really appreciate all that you do for aviation and, and all that you do to connect everyone and get all this information into everyone's, uh, anytime, everyone's ears. Yeah, anytime. I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, good. I hope that everything works out for you guys with the coronavirus. Stay tough, man. And like I said, hopefully in a couple months we can come out and we can have a pilot-to-pilot meetup up at the brewery. Ah, I would love to do that. Yeah. All right. Sounds good, <laughs> yeah. man. Well, have a good one and uh, stay safe. Stay safe. You too, Justin. Aviation that is a wrap of episode number 111. We have two episodes a week, probably for the next month, if I had to guess. Maybe a little bit after. Just depends on how everything's playing out. We have tons of episodes to continue to do this. I just, I don't want to overload you with information. So let me know how you like the two episodes versus one episode. Uh, I have a lot of content to get out there and I'm excited. I just recorded with Swain today and I have a 7.4 gear up in there as well. So we have some good stuff coming on. I'm really excited to, uh, to release this tomorrow, or not tomorrow, Thursday's episode is going to be with an AOPA. Uh, it's talking about medicals, talking everything and anything you would ever want to know about medicals. So it's going to be an interesting episode as well. I hope you enjoy that one that's come out on Thursday with uh, Gary Crump from AOPA. It's going to be a good one. But uh, Aven Asian, that's all I have for you. Don't want to waste any more of your time. I hope you are staying safe. And as always, happy flying.